T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is 808 in the Twin Cities, 38 degrees. I want to let you know again that tomorrow morning, the Sunday 1030 a.m. show will get preempted because they have moved the Masters. Yes, they have moved the entire Masters golf tournament to a early morning start, and CBS coverage is going to start at 8 a.m. tomorrow. CBS television coverage is going to start at 8 a.m. So uh, tune into the Masters. It's awfully exciting. Tiger Woods challenging. Uh, it's, it's pretty dramatic. And the reason they've moved it is because there are very severe storms that are headed that way, and there's concern about safety. So that's the reason that they're doing that. We will have a 6 a.m. show on WCCO-TV. But now it is time for one of my favorite guests for WCCO Radio, the one and only Professor David Schultz. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you today? Absolutely. I am doing wonderfully. But I do want to ask you, you mounted, and, and our, our producer Susan Blanche noted it as well, and I had seen it too, you mounted a fierce legal challenge this week to winter. Yes, I I. Give us the details. How's it going? Okay. Well, after the um, um, failure of, I think, what, Judge Burke in Hennepin County to hold Old Man Winter accountable. And that was weeks ago. That was weeks ago. Didn't Judge Burke file, like, a temporary restraining order against Old Man Winter? He did, and it didn't seem to work, so... Weeks ago. Weeks ago. So I I filed uh, um, an injunction for... For an anti-harassment um, request against old man, no, against it was what Punxsutawney Phil and the Norse god of winter um, directing them to stop harassing us, um, and I um, so so that motion was put out there, and I think it's working because the weather is gradually warming up now, isn't it? It is. I, I guess if we have you to thank, well then thank you. All right. Well, hopefully um, this meteorological injunction um, is, is working. All right. We, we, we know something. We all certainly hope so, although I hate to tell you, and I, I will give you the weather, folks, uh, again at the bottom of this hour. Uh, there is a slight chance of snow on Thursday night, but I, I don't think it's anything like what we experienced. So, and, yes, that we, will, we will hit the 60s midweek. That's a little tease of the weather, which is coming up in about 20 minutes. But I, I, I certainly think I, – I pray that your injunction is working. We all hope it does. Okay. And then I do want to ask you quickly, before we get to politics, uh, you are, and I, I, we've talked about this before, you are a, a very talented and dedicated gardener. What is this like from the gardening perspective, having this getting dumped on here in, the mid, in mid-April? Well, my – well – Generally, this time of year, I'm, I'm starting some cleanup. Obviously, not putting anything in. I, you know, I generally don't put anything until, you know, mid-May. In the last few years, not until uh, Memorial Day weekend. But I do have an asparagus bed that that in warmer weather produces, let us say, sometimes as early as as May first. Wow. Right now, it's under snow. I haven't cleaned out the old asparagus ferns. Um, things are not looking good, good good right now in terms of um, of my garden. Right. So is it, does it just delay everything, or was there any damage, do you think, done by the fact that, that once again this year, as last year, there, there was this large snowstorm in mid-April? 
it's hard to tell at this point in terms of the full damage because sometimes I don't even know the damage until the gardening season starts, and then I realize, well, certain things aren't coming up. When I'm a, Two things I'm especially worried about, probably like a lot of other gardeners, I had some bulbs starting to come up, and yeah. I don't know now if this renewed cold um, has damaged them um, in terms of, um, of, of, of any kind of problems. And then I also have um, hazelnuts in my yard, and, and occasionally I actually get one out of there when the squirrels don't steal them all. But I'm a little worried. My wife and I were talking, wondering if this cold snap now um, has damaged them. So, so we don't know at this point in terms of the, you know, the full scope of the damage. I know last year when we had that, that it was like almost about the same week, wasn't it, the snowstorm in April? Yeah, um, it, it was it was virtually the same week. Yeah, yeah, and, and we had some damage from that. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to take a hit this year. And I also think of the fact that my yard um, is, like everybody else's, just soaked with water. Um, right. And draining right. it out is going to take a long time. Well, anyway, it is it is a spectacular garden, and and it's always producing something in 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 the warm weather months. And obviously, uh, you and a lot of other gardeners and everybody else uh, getting getting hit. And that's why we all hope your injunction works. Well, let's let's do our best. No, okay. Work. All right. Let's let's talk politics now. Um, the president is coming here on Monday to talk about taxes. Obviously, he had the big tax bill, uh, and he has championed that. He has said this is something that has been good for the economy. He, he says that you know some of the growth we've seen in the economy in terms of uh, jobs is, is due to this tax cut. Yet we're also hearing an awful lot of people. We actually began this show in our six o'clock hour talking with the CPA who says, you know, hey, most of his clients are not getting the tax refunds that they have gotten for years, and they're not exactly thrilled with that. What are your thoughts about why the president is coming, and and will he be able to run on this tax cut? Well, first, I don't think he's going to be able to run very successfully on the tax cut, although I'm not completely sure if his supporters – Will will be turned off, you know, by the taxes issue. There might be a few here and there, but his his supporters are pretty loyal. Um, so I don't think it's going to be the tax issue. I think the issue he really runs on um, is going to be the immigration issue more than anything else. And that's clear, as we're probably will talk about tonight, in terms of a lot of what's been happening with homeland security. You know, his pushing on on the border wall and a variety of things. But why Minnesota? Why do you come to Minnesota to talk about taxes? Well, maybe you come for the fact that that it is what, depending on which study you look at, what the fourth or fifth highest tax state in the country. That's a possibility. Um, but I think there's a couple of other reasons why you come here. You know, one of them is that Minnesota just about defied the rest of the Midwest in 2016 when it went for Hillary Clinton and not Donald Trump for president of the United States. Remember, Iowa, the Michigans, the Wisconsins, the Ohio's, um, pretty much, you know, with Minnesota and Illinois, the exceptions, the Midwest goes for for um, for for um, for Trump, and Trump has said at least twice he thinks he can win Minnesota, and I think he's coming here either with the belief that he can pick up Minnesota or force Democrats to defend the state, and then I'll give a third possibility. Uh, I think he comes here and he spends some time talking about taxes, but a lot of time talking about Representative Ilhan Omar. I, I think we are going to see that as well. Let, let's 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 talk 
first about um, because the immigration thing and and Ilhan Omar. Let's talk about that in just a sec. But in in terms of I I, I think you're right. I think that he really and the times that he has come here, he's come here twice since he won the presidency. And both times he has said in the speeches in Duluth and in Rochester, he has stressed and, and kind of gone on and on about it that had he had one more visit here, he would have won. And it's possible that he's right. I think he's possible to correct also. And the question becomes, was, you know, is Minnesota win- was Minnesota close in 16 because he campaigned here? Hillary Clinton did not, which is one theory, which basically says Democrats took it for granted. Clinton wasn't a strong candidate here. Remember, she lost, what, like two to one to Bernie Sanders in the caucuses, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, or, and I've been arguing this, um, that there's actually a lot of evidence suggesting that Minnesota is starting to trail or tail, I should say, more more Republican, perhaps suggesting that we are becoming a competitive swing state. All right. Well, let's let's talk about all that. We we do have to take a quick break, but there, there are so many things to talk about there, and and certainly the the issue with Ilhan Omar and immigration, that's going to come up. There, there's no question about that. So let's take a quick break. More with Professor David Schultz after this on News Radio eight three zero WCCO. Eight twenty one. Esme Murphy chatting with Professor David Schultz. We are talking about the president's visit. We are talking about why he's coming to Minnesota. And I think we both agree that, that the president, I, I really do think that he believes that he can win Minnesota in 2020. Um, let's talk about the immigration piece that you brought up, because it does seem like Ilhan Omar, the congressman from Minnesota's 5th Congressional District, is his favorite target. It's his target du jour. Right. And he has just been blasting her. Um, the latest is this uh, extraordinary Twitter attack, uh, including this uh, piece that he put out yesterday of an edited uh, video on Twitter of the 9-11 collapse and uh, the towers collapsing and uh, Representative Omar's quote, something happened. Uh, Your thoughts about this back and forth? Because this has been going on now for more than days, really weeks. It really has been. I think it's really started – right after Ilhan Omar took her oath of office back in January. And now it's debatable, and we can have a discussion here regarding whether she's been misquoted or her comments are taken out of context. But nonetheless, um, she has some quotes there that have... It, you know, brought some controversy from the Jewish community, you know, nationwide as well as, you know, within her own district, and some Democrats are uncomfortable with them, and they're providing, I think, fodder for Donald Trump. And I think, again, um, criticizing her serves, I think, two or three, pur- at least a couple of purposes. One of them um, is, is again, it, it plays on the anti-immigrant theme. The second um, is about the fact that her criticisms of Israel um, feed into a different strategy, which is perhaps to try to um, make inroads with Jewish voters in the United States. And you might might notice that another Minnesotan, um, former Senator Norm Coleman, um, is ahead of what is it the Republican? What's it called? The Republican Jewish Coalition or organization, right. um, and they are um, strongly behind Trump hoping to pick up more Jewish votes. And so things such as 
um, Trump's criticizing Omar's views about Israel, um, his recognition perhaps of Golan Heights um, as Israel's sovereign territory, um, moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, I think are all efforts to what? Also split the Democratic coalition and peel away Jewish voters from the Democratic Party over to him. Right. I also think, too, that that there are a number of people, including the governor of the state, Tim Walls, who who have been tweeting support for Congresswoman Omar over this latest attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she does seem to be sort of a lightning rod. And the comments that she has made, while some of them, a couple of them she's apologized for, others just seem to be uh, perhaps – Poor choice of words. And, and yes, I think every single thing that she says is just overly is going to be scrutinized and taken apart and picked apart. And I think she's going to have to deal with that. I do, too. I think um, the degree to which she is under scrutiny um, is probably even more so than many representatives. And she probably needs um, as you know, as somebody who's in the press, you know, is that a lot of candidates, it's always going through what? Their press or media relations person. She probably needs a little bit more coaching from whoever her media person is um, in terms of, um, of, of watching some of her words, recognizing the fact that, that she's under um, this intense pressure. Now, whether it hurts her in the 5th District, which is perhaps one of the most reliably democratic districts in the country. That's a matter of debate. But clearly, her comments taken in or out of context and exploited by Donald Trump, again, are an effort to to hurt Democrats or embarrass Democrats. And so she may need to be thinking about the broader context of how her views are being exploited. And, you know, one of the things... Um I mean, I, I don't think there's any question in my mind, it certainly sounds like there's no question in your mind, that, that he's going to talk about her mm-hmm. when he speaks here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Another thing that I think is going to be very interesting to see is, is the degree to which he brings up sanctuary cities. Yes. Because both – and the term sanctuary city is, is a loose one. Uh, St. Paul will, will – saying, well, no, we're really not. The bottom line is both Minneapolis and St. Paul and a number of other cities in Minnesota have said, we are not here, our our law enforcement is not here to enforce immigration policies, and we are not going to ask somebody who reports a crime if they are here legally, if we wonder if they are, which in essence makes us a sanctuary city. It is remarkable, this this statement from the president. uh, First, it came out that... uh, the president uh, or the administration was considering removing any illegals, people who were illegally uh, and undocumented, to moving them and sort of dumping them on in sanctuary cities. Uh, there was an immediate denial from the administration saying, no, 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 that's the case. And then later in the day yesterday, the president said, no, 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 that's exactly what we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, what, well, first off, again, the vacillating back and forth, again, seems to be a characteristic of his administration. But I, but I do think he's, he has an issue here that, again, I think he perceives one of, um, of, of needling the Democrats um, in terms of saying, that, okay, if you really do want these people, I'm just going to release them within your cities. And if you really want to be um, 
sanctuary cities, whatever those actually mean, um, then these people are yours. And, and again, I think he's hoping just to put Democrats on the defensive um, and to create commotion. I also want to throw in here, we were talking about Minneapolis and St. Paul as being whatever we mean as sanctuary cities. Um, I bet he also talks about on Monday how Minnesota is, and it'll be his words, not mine, is becoming a sanctuary state. And by that, he may point out the fact that, what is it, the, the DFL House just voted, I think it was this past week, to issue driver's license to anybody, even if the, you know, even if they are not, or driver's license, I think government IDs, even if they're not um, with proper documentation in the United States. Right, and, and so, so that's something that, that that's going to come out as well. But um, it it will be interesting. Obviously, the president uh, coming here, and we we certainly will be hearing uh, what he has to say. Obviously, will be covered extensively. Uh, we do have to take a quick break and give you some weather. When we come back, we'll have more with Professor David Schultz. You are listening to News Talk eight three zero. And your WCCO radio forecast, it is 38 degrees right now in the Twin Cities. Tonight, partly cloudy, lows in the mid-20s. Tomorrow, partly cloudy in the morning, then clearing highs in the upper 40s. Sunday night, partly cloudy, lows near 30. Monday, mostly cloudy, highs around 50. All right. Monday night, partly cloudy, lows in the upper 30s. Tuesday looks really great. Warmer, partly cloudy, highs in the lower 60s. Tuesday night, mostly cloudy, a 40% chance of rain after midnight, lows in the mid-40s. Now, Wednesday and Wednesday night, rain, highs in the mid-50s, then it starts getting cooler. Thursday, rain likely, highs near 50, and Thursday night is when things kind of get sticky here. Mostly cloudy, a chance of rain in the evening, then a chance of rain, possibly mixed with snow after midnight, lows in the upper 30s. Does not look like it is going to be the kind of event or anywhere near the kind of event that we experienced a few days ago. But stay tuned, folks. Uh, this this ride is not over yet. We still are getting a little taste of winter. All right, folks, when we come back, we'll have more with Professor David Schultz. We're going to talk about the presidential race and presidential fundraising, the surprise surge by the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. Had you ever even heard of that guy? Maybe you've never heard of him. But suddenly he is in third place in New Hampshire and Iowa. Is he the one to watch? We'll chat with Professor David Schultz after this on News Talk 830. 8.34 in the Twin Cities, chatting with Professor David Schultz. All right, let's talk about the Democratic candidates for president. Pete Buttigieg, and I believe I'm saying that right. I really, I studied how to pronounce his name. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and suddenly he's on fire, if you can be on fire when you're the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's in third place in some of these polls. I think this guy is for real. He is he is the surprise candidate of the year. There's no question about it. Not only both, as you point out here, in terms of how well he's polling, what, third place, and I think in both of the yes. early states, but also at the same time, he is, I think, what, third in fundraising at this point? Because right. you have Sanders way in the lead at about $18 million. I think Senator Harris, Kamala Harris, is at about $12 million, And he comes in at about, what, $7 million, $8 million? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's incredible. He seems, he seems to be the it person right now. I don't know about you, um, on the social media and almost every article that I see, um, his face is absolutely everywhere. Right. Well, I think I think it's because he is doing so well. And, and to a certain extent, I think, you know, what this, you know, sort of run up is, is that, that that these candidates are going out 
to New Hampshire. They are going out to Iowa. And the people who were running into him seem to really like him. Um, He's getting enough traction now with all the publicity that he's ending up. He was actually on Ellen for an extended period of time this week. That's a big deal because that's a huge audience. I was going to say that's probably one of the, that, that may be the biggest daytime audience that we have out there now. For right. I, it, it, it's, it's pretty big and it's pretty significant. But it, it is something that I think, and I'm, I'm sure that all the other candidates wish they were in his place. I'm sure Amy Klobuchar wishes she was doing as well. I'm sure that, uh, you know, Cory Booker, who officially announced today, uh, wished he was doing so that well. Um, what are your thoughts about how Senator Klobuchar is doing? Well, Klobuchar, I mean, it, it, you know, when you think about the fact she's raised about, about $5.2 million, I think that's the, the amount, um, you think that's pretty respectable. Um, but again, in terms of fundraising compared to everybody else, she's far back. And then just to give you a perspective here, what was it? I was at the gym today. You know, like a lot of people know they go to the gym, and they have all the television sets that are up there, and one of them is usually CNN, and they were listing all the candidates in terms of the most recent polls in Iowa and in New Hampshire, and it goes through all the lists here, like the top six. Klobuchar doesn't appear anywhere. Um, and in national and in, in the polls for Iowa and, and New Hampshire, she's still stuck at about 3 to 4%, and she doesn't seem to be getting a lot of traction. And this is especially a problem for her, I think, in Iowa, where she's basing an enormous amount of her, of her presidential campaign in terms of doing well in Iowa. And she just doesn't seem, again, no traction, and partly because of the fact that what now um, you have, um, you know, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's who's basically eating up all the media time. So her ability to, you know, to get any, you know, you know, space is is is, is hard. And I wonder, and this becomes curious here, um, when Trump comes here on Monday to come back to it, you know, does. Does Trump mention Klobuchar? Because if he does, that's a good sign for her. But if he, right. yeah, if he ignores her, then that's that's not a good sign for her. Right. Um, I, I, it's also, you know, going to be telling when you get later on in the process. And certainly, there's a lot of time here, and uh, you know, time I think is we've got months to, to you know for things to change and, and to develop. But when they get into the issues, or when they get into the point where they start having the debates. It appears that that most of the networks are going to do what they did last time around with all the Republican candidates. And I I don't know if everybody remembers, but they had two tiers. They had the first tier, and I think the first tier was by poll numbers, wasn't it? It Or or was it by fundraising? Yeah, yeah. It was. I think I can't remember what the actual percentage was. It might have been like at least double digits or something like that, but I can't remember. Um, but I kind of described it as what well. they had the varsity team and the junior varsity. Right. All right. And so I think it was maybe about six or seven who were the varsity or the first tier, and then everybody else second tier. The first tier, of course, got the publicity and, the, and got the media attention, very little media attention to the, um, to the second tier. Right. And, and, and so, so you, you literally had a debate with six candidates and then you had the other six. Of course, Donald Trump was always in that first six and it was one that, that, that was definitely striking. But I, you, you, they're going to have to do that again. They just can't have all of these people up there on stage debating each other. Right. And I think one of the other challenges was think back to um, 2016 when they had that two-tier 
Um, even though Carly Fiorina, you know, um, um, wasn't polling in the top six, um, the media felt um, that it really, in fairness, really needed to give the audience a, um, 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 a, a female candidate as an option. And so she worked into the first tier. This time when we have, for example, let us say, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, who are polling significantly better than, than Amy Klobuchar, um, I think some kind of gender equity argument would make it hard for her to say, you have to include me, unless she has some significant um, increase in the polls in the next few months. Right. And I also think that, that you know the polling, too, shows that President Trump is extremely popular with Republicans. Yes. And and that's that's what, you know, is going to be interesting to see. And I think his support is sort of solidified there. Um, and, you know, you know, William Weld is talking, former governor of Massachusetts, is talking about mounting a run. I don't it's difficult to see how that has any legs at all. Well, I was going to say he ran three years ago. Did he run three years ago? As the I think what a it was the libertarian libertarian. Yeah. Libertarian. I don't see how he gets back in. And I just, I just don't see Trump facing a serious challenge within the Republican Party. Again, his base is solid. His, he's, he's polling at about 40 percent, where he's more or less been, you know, for his entire presidency. I think, you know, the variable is going to be this time in, 20, you know, in 2020. I mean, clearly, um, it has to be the motivated Democrats have to show up and vote in ways they didn't show up in 2016, but the other variable is, will those suburban women who showed up in significant numbers um, last year across congressional districts in the country, will they continue to come out and vote against Donald Trump? And if you get that combination of, 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 of the Democratic base motivated along with those suburban women coming out to vote, um, that, that's the recipe that Democrats need to, need to have to be able to defeat Donald Trump. And right now, I, th- I think it's, um, you know, I, 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 if I'm going to assign a number, I have to say right now that Trump is the favorite to win re-election because the Democrats have no clear front-runner. They're, right. a, they're a very divided party. There's, I mean, I know it's early yet, but... But um, yeah. but I but even though the polls are saying that yes, many candidates can beat him, um, I still think when you actually push come the shove, it's hard to be an incumbent president. Right, and and I also think that there's at this point an enthusiasm gap because the the people who are supporting the president are enthusiastic. Right. I mean, I I'm, I don't think I've ever seen supporters who are more enthusiastic. I mean, he, he really does. He, the people who support President Trump are fired up mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. and that was the problem with Hillary Clinton is the people were not fired up about her. And, and the actual Democratic vote was suppressed. It was less than it was, in, you know, in uh, 20 it, when, when President Obama ran for a second mm-hmm. term. And that was the problem. And and. It remains to be seen if there is a Democrat who can catch fire like that. No, I think you're right. I mean, in Minnesota, I, mean, I can't remember if I, we ever talked about this here. When I actually crunched the numbers in Minnesota comparing 2012 to 2016 and did it at the county level, um, you know, Trump um, 
Florida Clinton won the state by less than 50,000 votes, but um, closest since Walter Mondale, Ronald Reagan. Um, Trump only received about two or 3,000 more votes than Mitt Romney did previously. What happened was there were about 200,000 Demo- fewer Democrats voting um, than there were before. And where I could actually point to the, to the downturn in voting was mostly in what? Hennepin and Ramsey counties. So Democrats just stayed home on Election Day, not um, enamored by, by Clinton, but also the fact that what? After Clinton lost in the caucuses to Bernie Sanders, she chose never to come back to Minnesota to campaign, um, again, sort of assuming that people were going to vote for her. And so, a, a com- again, a combination of her not asking for the vote, maybe her not um, engendering that enthusiasm that Obama had uh, or people, voters had for Obama also contributed to the problem. So you're right. We have to see if a candidate lights fire um, um, come not necessarily now, but come, let us say, September, October 2020, that's really when it matters. Right. And, and, and she did not, you're right, she did not come back here. She did send Bernie Sanders here. And, you know, I went to that rally. And I think the people who showed up for that rally, even though, you know, she was the candidate, it was pretty shortly before the election. They were there to see Bernie Sanders. <laughs> they wanted to see Bernie Sanders for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they saw him as a, as a surrogate. Um, and also, infamously, she never ever went to Wisconsin, which is, exactly. of course turned she, out to be one of the states that delivered the death blow there. Right, and she, I think, only went for a fundraising trip um, to Michigan and lost that state also. So she made, I think, a variety of of strategic mistakes. Tip O'Neill was always famous for saying, never take a vote for granted, ask for every vote. Um, and I think, in part, that was her failure. She took votes for granted. And whole states for granted. Yes. <laughs> Don't take a state for granted. All right, listen, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to chat with uh, Professor Schultz about the Mohammed Noor trial. He, of course, is on trial uh, for the murder of Justine Ruschek Damon. Uh, David Schultz, of course, a professor of law and has taught uh, many courses on criminal procedure. So that is coming up next on News Talk 830. It eight fifty. chatting here with Professor David Schultz. You, of course, have taught criminal procedure, and we were talking in one of the breaks about the Mohammed Noor trial, one of the most closely watched trials in, in recent Twin Cities history, not just here, but, of course, across the world, because so much interest in, uh, you know, what's going on in this trial in Australia, because, of course, uh, Justine Ruschek-Damon was from Australia. You had some thoughts about some of the developments that that occurred uh, on Friday in, in the trial. Uh, yeah, tell I, us about that. Yeah, I did. Okay. Among the classes where I taught criminal procedure, but I also taught for many years a class that focused in on, on police, civil, and criminal liability, and specifically at what point um, can police, when they're using excessive force or, or use high-speed chases or, or whatever, when are they personally, criminally, or civilly liable? And when it comes to the use of, 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 of deadly force, the general constitutional standard is, is that police may use de- deadly force um, if they objectively believe that their life or the life of others are in danger. And the reason why that's important is that you know, he's put on, uh, you know, Officer Knorr, former Officer Knorr, is being put on trial, charged with murder, and I believe manslaughter. And if, and 
if he can convince a jury that that in fact um, he objectively believed at the time that um, that he he used force that his life or again the life of, of somebody else, let's say his partner or the public was um, was um, was in danger, then that's just about a perfect affirmative defense to be able to use in a trial. It's like you or I using what a self-defense argument, you know, if somebody was trying to attack us. And what I thought was interesting on Friday, you know, listening to the testimony is where um, um, some of the language came out suggesting that the officers thought that they might be ambushed um, or right. were going to be there ambushed. There was an ambush in New York about 10 days before yes. this happened that apparently was a topic of discussion uh, at, at the roll calls, and there was a lot of discussion about it. So it was on their minds, and which is reasonable for officers. I mean, no, no one is saying this is, this is obviously an incredibly dangerous job, but the, the topic of an ambush was out there. Correct. And the question becomes now, um, was that topic of an ambush just, let us say, an irrational kind of um, a fear, and that just didn't objectively support his use of, of the force or a deadly force, you know, shooting, or um, was it objectively reasonable enough to think that there, there had been a, you know, an ambush in New York, um, it's something that's possible um, that could happen in Minnesota, in Minnesota, and therefore, you know, the circumstances under, from what I've been following in the trial, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, is that some, you know, when she approached the car from the rear and came over to the side, you know, did he reasonably think that this was part of an ambush. Again, you know, I'm glad I'm not sitting in the jury box make, making that decision. But if, in fact, that's determined to be, again, an objectively reasonable belief, um, it's going to be very, very hard to get a conviction. Well, and, and, and what you're saying the law says is, is that if, if an officer believes that his life or the life of somebody else is in danger, he can use deadly force. Isn't that the reason that... that Ninety-nine percent of these officers who are charged get acquitted because those—that's the law in, in just about every state. Well, that's the constitutional standard as articulated by the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's 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 exactly that's exactly the point here is that the Supreme Court has said is that is that 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 is that is the just constitutional justification, and that the police can come back and say. Listen, I am. Um, um, I, I, this this is what I thought was happening. Again, the actual standard is objectively reasonable. Um, it can't be a subjective belief. It can't be um, um, irrational. It has to be at the time objective, objectively reasonable. So I think the standard makes it difficult. And two, put people in a jury box. Um, I think it's. I think most jurors are loath um, or hesitant to second-guess a police officer in terms of what they might have believed um, at the time um, of the shooting. I mean, I, I, I've gone through, um, um, you, know, the, some, you know, some police training, including um, use of force, and I, you know, along with other civilians, and I can tell you most civilians um, when have like what's called an exercise called shoot, don't shoot, shoot everything in sight. Um, I, mean, I mean, police are actually very well trained not to shoot people. Um, and, and again, I think that also will come out in the testimony in terms of, again, jurors will be um, hesitant um, um, based 
you know, if, if, if again, if they can are convinced that that this person's life was in danger, I think very few people are going to be willing to say, "Well, gosh, I'm going to second guess a police officer." How much? And obviously, so it sounds like you believe that that officer or former officer Noor is going to testify. I would think so. I think I think it would make sense for him to do so here, um, even though. Um, he doesn't have to. He, go, he, of course, has a constitutional right not to testify. Um, I, th- um, I think it would probably make sense for him to go on the witness stand and to um, state what he believed. Now, oftentimes we know jurors in cases where the person on trial doesn't testify, um, jurors wonder and say, gosh, I really would like to hear from that person. Um, I think in a murder trial, especially given what the law is here, um, I think for Noor to explain what he actually believed was going on is more likely than not to help him as opposed to hurt him. Right, and and I I have heard from a source that 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 former officer Noor is extremely articulate and is expected by his defense team to do very well on the stand. So I think that's going to be interesting. Also, I think a lot depends on this other officer who was in the car as well. I mean, he's pretty important, too. Right. I was going to say, if that officer were to say, and I don't know what he's going to testify, if he were to say, I was scared, I was, you know, I I was fearing for my life, um, that's going to be incredibly powerful corroborating testimony um, for for Officer Noor. Right, because that, that could come this week. Well, listen, Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. Uh, ho- hope the garden survives there in St. Paul. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again tonight. No problem. Good night to everybody. Absolutely. The one and only Professor David Schultz. Please check out his blog, Schultz's Take. Uh, always a wealth of information, so many perspectives on so many key issues. I uh, want to invite you to tune in to WCCO-TV uh, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., We'll have all the latest news and weather. 10.30 a.m. show, it will be preempted because of the Masters. Want to give a shout-out to Susan Blanche, the producer of this show, and also the, the lady who's kept us on the air tonight. Thank you, Susan. All right. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.